Yes, Lord, we do bless your name. And you do. You give us a choice to do that. Lord, no matter what road you have called us to walk, we know that you walk it with us. No matter what difficulty or trial we face, Lord, we know that you are there. We bless your name in it all. Lord, we thank you for the amazing gift of this relationship that you have purchased for us. Lord, our desire is to continually grow in that relationship, to know you more, to understand what more and more of who you are and what you desire of us. And Lord, we understand that in our flesh and in our own strength, we cannot possibly, we cannot possibly do this. We need, we need your spirit, Lord. We pray that you would pour out your spirit upon us. Fill us with your, with your truth. Lord, we, that's why we're gathered here tonight. We want to we know you more. We thank you for the, the gift of fellowship as well. Lord, we pray that you are pleased here tonight as we, we just come to, again, hear from you and be changed by you. So have your way here. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, isn't that, I, I loved, I loved what Dan said at the beginning that, but you know, as we're worshiping and, and singing, you know, I, I love that verse. It says, make a joyful noise unto the Lord, because that's, that's about all I can do is a joyful noise. So why don't you stand up? Welcome, say hi to each other and say that was a joyful noise that you heard. So. All right. Well, good evening. How are you doing? Great. Hey, a couple of uh, quick uh, notes here really fast before we get started. Uh, perhaps you noticed as you came through the foyer uh, that it looks very different and it's going to look even, even more different by this weekend. Uh, tomorrow, if, if you remember the announcement from this weekend or if you weren't here, tomorrow starting at 8 o'clock. If you have some free time, we'd love to have you come by anytime during the day. It's going to start at 8 o'clock, but we're going to be doing some some work out there, painting, if, you, if you're good with a paintbrush, and there's some other activities, other things that are going to be going on. So please, uh, if you have some time tomorrow, stop by. We'd love to put you to work. Also, uh, Rick had mentioned um, that after the service tonight, because we're redoing some stuff, we have to relocate for the women's Bible study tomorrow, and we need a little help uh, setting up a couple of rooms. So uh, I don't see Rick. Uh, you all know Rick, right? bald ridge. He looks, looks like me a little shorter. All right. So find him after the service and uh, he'd be glad to put you to work for a little bit here afterwards. If you'd open your Bibles now to 2 Samuel chapter 24. 2 Samuel 24, we've reached the, the last chapter in 2 Samuel. Been looking at the life of David from his first call that the Lord placed on him to be the, the king of, of God's choosing, a man after his own heart to lead the children of Israel. And we've followed through David's life, and we've seen the ups and the downs and the, the victories and the failures. We've seen God's faithfulness through it all. We've seen a man 
as he has continued even through his failures to recognize his failure and to come back to the Lord in repentance. And we see tonight again in another chapter, again, a, a failure in David's life, a stumbling. And again, as we've mentioned before, that's one of the evidences to me that what we hold in our hands is the truth of God's word. It is, most, most other religions would never reveal the faults and failures and weaknesses of their heroes, right? And David is one of the greatest heroes in the history of the Jewish people, yet it's recorded for us his failures, and again, in that, God's faithfulness through it all. We last time looked at David's mighty men and, and how they served him and all the victories that they had, and we begin now, chapter 24, says verse 1, now again the anger of the Lord burned against Israel and it it incited David against them to say go number Israel and Judah. Now if you have a New King James translation it'll, it, it says there that he, in, he incited David to go and number Israel and it's a capital H which would indicate that it was God that was prompting David to go and number Israel but we know that's a, that's a mistake because we know if we look at 1 Chronicles chapter 21, and you don't need to turn there. I'll be going back and forth a little bit because we have the record of this same event there. And it says in 1 Chronicles chapter 21, verse 1, Then Satan stood up against Israel and moved David to number Israel. So we see that this is Satan that is actually moving and speaking to David, prompting him, tempting him to do this. Now, we, we look at that, and, we, and uh, I don't know about you, but at times I look at things like that, and I'm going, man, how does God allow that to happen? Why, why, is that, why is that done? And as we will read through here, David bites into that. He takes that. We need to understand when we read things like this that God does not do anything without a purpose. Nothing comes our way in the lives, especially in the lives of believers, but, but in, any, in any path that does not have a purpose. It does not have a divine purpose. Sometimes we see the purpose play out. Other times we, we might never know the answer or see that purpose until we get to heaven and then understand, say, oh, okay, I see how that was all working together. We see even in, in the, the book of Job, it starts out with a conversation going on in the heavenlies, and, and God is bragging on his man, Job. He says, do you see my servant, Job? And Job, and I'm paraphrasing here, Satan says, yeah, but you know, see how you blessed him. Take away some of those blessings. Let me, let me add him for a little while, and we'll see how much he praises you. And God allows him to do certain things with limitations, as if you read through the book of Job. But at the very end, it's important this, it says in chap- chapter 42 of the book of Job, after, at the end of it all, even now Job and, and the Lord are, are having a conversation, and it says, then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have declared that, w- that which I do not understand. Job was speaking out and, and, and saying things that now he realizes after the Lord has been speaking to him that he doesn't understand. He doesn't have the big picture. He just has this little moment in time and only from his limited understanding, he says, I don't understand it. And you're way above it all. 
and now you've given me a little bit of a glimpse, but I didn't understand these things that I declared. These things are too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Here now and I will speak. I will ask you and you instruct me. And here in verse 5 it says, I have heard of you by the hearing of my ear, but now my eyes see you. Through this trial, and a, a trial that is really beyond anything that we will probably ever face, what Job had to go through. He says at the end of it all, I see a purpose in it. Before I had heard of you, before I loved you and I worshipped you, but now I see you more fully. I understand your holiness in a, in a greater degree. Again, God doesn't do anything without a purpose. God isn't up, up in heaven battling Satan and this is some kind of sick game that they have going back and forth. God has an eternal purpose. Romans 8, 28, it says, And we know that God works all things together for good, for those who love him and are called to his purposes. We looked at this even this last weekend. Remember, Jesus said to Peter, Satan has demanded to sift you like wheat. And as we'd mentioned when we were looking at that, we'd all love that Jesus would say to that, but I told him no, hands off of you. But he didn't. Permission was granted for Satan to sift Peter like wheat. But Jesus says, but I have prayed for you, that your faith will not fail, and when you turn, strengthen your brothers. Jesus lays out the purpose for it. Peter, you are going to grow through this experience, as painful as it is, but at the end of it, you're going to be more equipped to do the work that I am calling you specifically to do, and that is to strengthen your brothers. As we mentioned this week, he, Jesus told him, now feed my sheep. God has a purpose in all of it. Verse 2, because of this, Satan now tempting David, says, verse 2, the king said to Joab, the commander of the army who was with him, Go about now through all of the tribes of Israel from Dan to Beersheba and register the people that I may know the number of the people. The key in what he is saying there, notice it says that I may know the number of the people. Pride has now crept in to David. This, this one who has, we've talked about so often the humility of David throughout his life. But here an element of pride has crept in so that I can know. Now, we don't know the reason that he wanted to know that. Was, just, was it so that he could then proclaim and feel proud of how vast the, the people were? We'll see that, that the numbers that are, that are counted as they do this census are military people. So was David just taking a check for his military? And again, was that a prideful thing so that he felt confident into going into another battle? Or was it a security thing because of all of the issues that he'd had with Absalom and these others that were trying to raise up and take power? Was he taking security in the numbers of his people instead of relying on God? We don't know exactly, but no doubt an element of pride has come in says, verse 3, but Joab said to the king, now may the Lord your God add to the people a hundred times as many as they are while the eyes of my Lord the king still see. But why does my Lord the king delight in this thing? He could sense something in what David said, delight in this thing. There's something that he could see welling up in David. And he's saying, why are you doing it? Again, in First Chronicles, it's recorded for us a little bit more about what he said. 
Joab said, may the Lord add to his people a hundred times as many as they are, but my Lord, the king, are they not all my Lord's servants? Why does my Lord seek this thing? Why should he be, why should he be a cause of guilt to Israel? Be a cause of guilt to Israel. What is, what is that referring to? Well, back in Exodus chapter 30, Moses speaking, the Lord speaking to Moses, and he told them, Exodus chapter 30, verse 12, when you take a census of the sons of Israel to number them, then each one of them shall, shall give a ransom for himself to the Lord when you number them so that there will be no plague among them when you number them. The ransom that was done, and it's explained to us and outlined there, was so that everyone recognized that they belonged to God. The ransom was given saying, I belong to God. He purchased us out of slavery. I belong to him. As Christians, same thing. We've been purchased out of the slavery to sin and to death by his precious blood. We belong to him. We are not our own. We've been bought with a price. And the point here that, that, that Job, Joab, I'm sorry, is pointing out to David is, why would you bring this, this, this upon Israel? Why would you do this? Don't you understand what it is that you're telling us to do? God commanded at several different times to, to count and to do those things, but that came from the Lord. Here we know, as we see here, this didn't come from the Lord. He, he's challenged not only by Joab, but it tells us in there that the commanders of the army also were challenging David. Why are you doing this thing? But it continues, verse 4, Nevertheless, the king's word prevailed against Joab and against the commanders of the army. So Joab and the commanders of the army went out from the presence of the king to register the people of Israel. They were obedient to the king's command. Even though they, they recognized that this was wrong, they were obedient to follow what David had told them to do. They crossed the Jordan and camped at Aror, on the right side of the city that is in the middle of the valley of Gad toward Jazer. Then they came to Gilead and to the land of Tatim Hadshi, and they came to Danjaan and around to Sidon. And they came to the fortress of Tyre and all the cities of the Hivites and the Canaanites, and they went out to the south of Judah to Beersheba. And if you look at a map of Israel, starting in Jerusalem, it goes across, across the Jordan River and all the way around, circling all of the territory that was controlled by Israel at the time. That carefully noted here, this, this, and it totally encompasses the entire, the entire place. Verse 8. So when they had gone through the whole land, they came to Jerusalem at the end of nine months and 20 days. Nine months and 20 days. David's been sitting in Jerusalem for nine months and 20 days after he's given this order. Now, if you're, if you're a born-again believer and you are stepping out into something in disobedience to God, you know what happens, right? You know that the Holy Spirit is is convicting us, is, is telling us this is wrong. Yet he continued with it. He didn't call it off. He had nine, oh, almost 10 months to call the whole thing off, but he didn't. Verse 9, and Joab gave the number of the registration of the people to the king, and there were in Israel 800,000 valiant men who drew the sword, and the men of Judah were 500,000 men. Now, verse 10, David's heart troubled him after he had numbered the people this this number comes to david and as soon as it is given to him it tells us that his heart troubled him that word literally means his heart smote him 
he wasn't just a little bit bothered. He recognized the full force of it as to what he did. And when it came, it was just like, just hitting him like a truck. So the, David said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly. I have sinned greatly in what I have done. But now, O oh Lord, please take away the iniquity of your servant, for I have acted very foolishly. He knows it completely. He confesses his sin. My, I have sinned greatly, and we're going to touch on that in a little bit, but, and acted very foolishly. When David arose in the morning, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Gad, David's seer, saying, Go and speak to David. Thus, says, thus the Lord says, I am offering you three things. Choose for yourself one of them, which I will do to you. So Gad came to David and told him and said to him, Shall seven years of famine come to you in the land? Or will you flee three months before your foes while they pursue you? Or shall there be three days pestilence in your land? Now consider and see what answer I shall return to him who sent me. Then David said to Gad, I am in great distress. Let us now fall into the hand of the Lord, for his mercies are great. But do not let me fall into the hand of man. The Lord gives David three options. Either seven years of famine in the land, be fleeing from your enemies for three months, or three days of pestilence. And we, we see that, that David is wrestling with this. He's, he's distressed over this. And we will see David's heart played out again a little bit, a little bit here in a second. But as he's wrestling through this, no doubt, part of this, realizing that this guilt is his, and we'll see that again, he, he, he says, this is all on me. But the three options, none of them included, David, I'm going to punish you alone. And so looking at it all, the seven years of, of famine, as the king, he could easily survive that, whereas the people would suffer the most. Running from the enemies, he said, I would rather place my, my future in the hands of a merciful God than my enemies who would show me no mercy. So that is what he chose. So verse 15, the Lord sent a pestilence upon Israel from the morning until the appointed time. And 70,000 men of the people from Dan to Beersheba died. 70,000. When the angel stretched out his hand toward Jerusalem to destroy it, the Lord relented from the calamity and said to the angel who destroyed the people, It is enough. Now relax your hand. And the angel of the Lord was by the threshing floor of Aruna the Jebusite. Then David spoke to the Lord when he saw the angel who was striking down the people and said, Behold, it is I who have sinned, and it is I who have done wrong. But these sheep, what have they done? Please let your hand be against me and against my father's house. Now as we see this, and again, we, I love the heart of David as a shepherd, realizing his responsibility as the leader of the people and crying out to God in this. And we could look at this and say, it doesn't seem fair. It doesn't seem right. Why would God punish innocent people because of David's singular sin? But we read over it quickly. I want you to go back and look at verse 1. It says, Now again, the anger of the Lord burned against Israel. Israel is not innocent. 
Israel, as we have studied through this, the, the, our times on Wednesday nights, going through the, the history of the children of Israel, time and time again, they turn away from the Lord. Time and time again, they anger God by not serving him, by not honoring him. And we don't know what that is. It says, now again, the anger of the Lord burned against Israel. It doesn't tell us specifically. We could probably draw some conclusions don't want to get dogmatic about it, but we just read a couple, of, a couple of chapters ago about how Israel rebelled against David, making Absalom their king. Is that what it is? We're not told. But God doesn't just randomly punish innocent people. By the way, there is none innocent. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But David's heart, no doubt again, in this place. God, why? Why them? It should be me. I'm the one who sinned. I'm the one who did this. So Gad, verse 18, came to David that day and said to him, Go up, erect an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Aruna the Jebusite. David went up according to the word of Gad, just as the Lord had commanded. Aruna looked down and saw the king and his servants crossing over towards him. And Aruna went out and bowed his face to the ground before the king. Then Aruna said, Why has my lord the king come to his servant? And David said, To buy the threshing floor from you in order to build an altar to the Lord, that the plague may be held back from the people. Aruna said to David, Let my lord the king take and offer up what is good in his sight. Let the oxen for the burnt offering and the threshing sledges and the yoke of the oxen for the wood. Everything, O king, Aruna gives to the king. And Aruna said to the king, May the Lord your God accept you. However, the king, David, said to Aruna, No, but I will surely buy it from you for a price. For I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God, which cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. Gad comes to David and he says, you need to go. And where the angel stopped, and it's important that, that this wasn't, again, just a random place. The threshing floor of Aruna. We know threshing floors, that's where they would separate the wheat from the chaff. It was done on high places where the wind would be coming stronger over the top of a knoll or over the top of a hill. Up on the hill above where the city of David was, on Mount Moriah, back behind where the city of David is, which sits down lower in Jerusalem today. And so he goes up there and he's going to buy this, this, this plot of land. And he says, this Aruna, the Jebusite, says, man, I've seen this angel. I've seen the terror that's going on. I'll just give it to you. Whatever I have, it's yours. Just make them stop. <laughs> and David said, no, I will not Offer to the Lord something that cost me nothing. I think it's interesting that he said in verse 23, may the Lord your God accept you. In that, we understand too that it wasn't just the sacrifice that's given. It's the heart of David now that is there before the Lord. Psalm, Psalm 51, verses 16 and 17. For you do not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You're not pleased with burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. Yes, there would be a sacrifice offered here, and again, the significance is great, but David's heart is truly right again, broken and contrite before the Lord. It says, I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God, which cost me nothing. 
So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. Now, again, in 1 Chronicles chapter 21, it tells us, In verse 25, we're told what he bought for silver, but in verse 25 of 1 Chronicles 21, it says, So David gave, gave Aruna 600 shekels of gold by weight for the site. He purchased the land that, that it was on. Now, that's important, and we're going to get to that a little bit more in a moment, but where that land is now is where the Temple Mount is. That is up on top, up on the, the, the top of Mount Moriah. We're going to see that's where the, the, the temple was then to be built. And I make an issue of that. I make a point of that because there isn't a more disputed piece of land in the world than the Temple Mount. Muslims claim that it's their territory. It's their place. Well, we have the bill of sale right here that it belongs to the, 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 the Jewish people. David bought it with a price and built the temple there. David, verse 25, back in 2 Samuel says, David built there an altar to the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. Thus the Lord was moved by the prayer for the land and the plague was held back from Israel. Again, more details a little bit are told to us in 1 Chronicles. It says that then David built an altar to the Lord there and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. And he called to the Lord and he answered him with fire from heaven on the altar of burnt offerings. The Lord commanded the angel, and he put his sword back in his sheath. At that time, David saw that the Lord had answered him on the threshing floor of Aruna the Jebusite. He offered sacrifices there. This place, Mount Moriah, there is, at this moment that we are looking at in our text right now, there is a history here on this place. This is where Abraham took his son Isaac. When the Lord commanded Abraham, I, I want you to sacrifice your son, your only son Isaac, to me. Abraham stepping out in faith. Hebrews tells us that he didn't understand it all, but he knew that if need be, God would raise him from the dead because God promised that through Isaac there would be, there would be generations to come. But he was obedient in going there, and he bound Isaac, and he placed him on an altar on this very mountain, Mount Moriah. He built an altar, he placed him there, and just as he was about to plunge the knife into him, he was told to stop. God said, Abraham, I know that your faith in me is real. And then it says, I will provide myself a sacrifice. Now that time, he provided a ram that was caught in the thicket, and he offered that as a sacrifice, but prophetically was saying, I will provide myself a sacrifice. Jesus himself would come, and again, the future, we see what's happening now, but the future on this same mountain, Mount Moriah, is where Jesus would be crucified. The sacrifice that was offered for you and me. All of that taking place on this mountain. The, the, the past, the sacrifice that was offered there, the, the substitute, the ram that was substituted for, for Isaac. Here we see the, the substitute of a broken and contrite heart and a burnt offering that the Lord accepted to stop the pestilence, but ultimately pointing to Jesus Christ, our Lord, our King, who would suffer and die on this same mountain for you and me. The glory of it all. There's a few things that we can take away from this, this story. 
Because we've seen, as we've seen through the life of David, again, his failures and his, his repentance, his strengths, his victories. But here it's clear, this is at the end of David's life. Guys, we never outgrow temptation. We never get to a point in our Christian walk where we can say, I'm no longer tempted. As a matter of fact, if we ever get to that point, we are in danger of the same thing that David fell to, and that's pride. I can do this. I can handle this. We looked at that again this weekend with, with Peter. I can do this on my own, becoming self-confident, self-reliant. We need to continually be, as Jesus said to Peter, we need to continually be watching and praying. Watching and praying. We need to hear from the Lord. You know, it's interesting when we look back at the beginning of this, when David was tempted by this, do you remember, did you notice one thing he didn't do? He didn't pray. He didn't seek the Father. He didn't go to God and say, I'm feeling that I, I should be doing this. Is this from you? Is this of you? God never declined to answer David when he sought him with his whole heart. But he didn't do that. Again, falling back into his self-reliance and his own, his own power, this has got to be right. This has got to be good. And then he ignored the counsel that came to him. No doubt the the life of David and all of the things that he went through were things that he poured into his son Solomon. And Solomon records for us in Proverbs chapter 3, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him. Everything that we do, we need to acknowledge him. He will make your paths straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. We never outgrow temptation. And when, when we stumble in our walk, God is always gracious to give us time to repent. We see here, nine months and 20 days. <laughs> and as that first started, again, no doubt in his heart, there, there had to be that, that check going on. He walked too closely to the Lord throughout his life. He knew the law. It, he was the one who says, I meditate on your law day and night. He knew these things. And no doubt as this check is going on, but the longer we let that check go unchecked, we continue to walk in our own understanding, excuse our own behaviors, the further and further away we get. The Bible tells us to seek the Lord while he is near. When that first check comes, we need to be praying, seeking counsel from others, asking them to be praying. It doesn't mean that, that, that if somebody, uh, you ask two or three other people and they're all in agreement that you should do something, that that would trump what you know that God is speaking in your heart. But there is, there is wisdom in counsel. But he didn't do that. His sensitive heart grew harder. But God lovingly disciplines us as well. We've touched on this before as we've gone through the life of David, but it bears repeating. The author of Hebrews says, Do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you endure. 
God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which you have become partakers, you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, so that we may share his holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. But yet those who have been trained by it afterwards, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. God lovingly disciplines us. Just as he never acts and does anything without a purpose, that includes discipline. The discipline for us as we go through in our Christian walk is not without purpose. And the author of Hebrews tells us what that purpose is. So that we might share in his holiness. As we repent and as we come back, we share in his holiness and sons of righteousness as we walk that out. But we see here that all sin can do great damage. Sometimes we look at the sins of the flesh. We, we could look at the two sins of David that we could hold up. There were many, but the two that we, that we have highlighted, I guess, more than any other, the sin with Bathsheba and the sin here. And amongst us, if I were to just take a silent poll, we would probably all agree that the sin with Bathsheba was a greater sin. But David knew differently. David knew because when he said, when he confessed his sin to, to Nathan, he said, I have sinned against the Lord. But notice what he says here, I have sinned greatly. He understood that there was something even greater in this sin. Now, we, we, we understand that all, all sin is an affront to a holy and righteous God. But there's something about this. And the, the, in 2 Corinthians, Paul says it this way. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement, flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. We can look at the, the fleshly sins and give them more weight and excuse the spiritual sins, if you would. We can focus on the sins of the flesh and ignore the other ones. But again, those other ones are the ones that take deep root. David's sin with Bathsheba in his flesh was something he acted on in his flesh in immediate. But we saw here that this sin of pride was something that he dwelt on, that he, he was almost purposeful and deliberate and persistent in. And I bring that up again because, again, we can, we can focus on certain areas and let others go unchecked. And those are the ones that grieve the Holy Spirit when we carry bitterness with someone, when we when we won't forgive someone for something that they've done. Gossip and, and those other things that, that take place. We can't, we can't somehow put a, a different weight on those things. Those are things that as God reveals those to us in our heart, we need to respond immediately. Or we, like David, can grow further and further away from that, excusing it more and more. And then realize, after the devastation of what bitterness can cause and those types of things, realizing, I have sinned greatly. Sin involves others. The effects of what we do affect our children, 
affect those closest to us, affect our coworkers. If we, if, if we compromise at work and people know that we're Christians, they, they point to that and they see that and it affects them. This, the bitterness and, and anger and, and those types of things affect the church body. But as we see here, when we truly come repentant, contrite heart, God is eager to forgive, to restore. But true repentance, a true love for God and a desire to follow him is costly. We all need to recognize that. David, it says, I refuse to offer to the Lord something that cost me nothing. When we truly desire to follow the Lord, it costs us something. Paul, again, in Philippians, put it this way, but whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ and may be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. A true desire to follow the Lord is costly. Repentance is costly. Repentance means that we are turning from something and turning to God turning from a certain activity or sin in our life and turning to God. And that's costly. But anybody, any of us would be able to give testimony about those things that, that and in my own life, the things that I used to count as so valuable, as so important, I now really can relate with Paul. That was just a bunch of garbage. I remember back having conversations with the guys that I used to work with when, when we were when we were successful businessmen and we'd all get together and we'd all talk about how big our pile of garbage is. We'd brag about how big this pile of garbage is. But now, to gather together as believers and talk about what God is doing in and through us and I look back at all of that stuff that I don't have anymore and I'm like, good riddance. <laughs> I wouldn't go back to that ever because God you can't outgive God whatever you give up to follow him fully he will repay a hundredfold obedience repentance means facing sin honestly agreeing with God what sin is Agreeing with God as to what we deserve for that, but then falling on his mercy and the completed work of Christ on the cross for us. And God will forgive and bring blessing. I love what David says in here in verse 14. Let us now fall into the hand of the Lord for his mercies are great. His mercy is great. And his mercy is new every morning. Lastly, we see in verse 25, it says, Thus the Lord was moved by prayer for the land. Guys, God is moved by prayer. Prayer from his people. Prayer from those who diligently seek him. 
2 Chronicles 7, 14. And my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. I don't know, anybody else think our land needs healing? <laughs> it's up to us. It's up to us. We need to, we need to examine ourselves. We need to have the Lord search us and reveal areas in our lives that we need to turn over to him, that we need to repent of. And as we do that as believers, and then we truly seek his face in prayer, diligent prayer, his promise is that he will forgive us, that he will heal, hear our prayer and heal our land. Now, just like as Jesus prayed, your will be done, that might not be the way we think. We might look at all of the candidates and say, all right, if I'm going to pray, then we're going to have to get a whole bunch more new candidates. God's going to honor that if I'm praying. That's not necessarily the case. There might The cleansing of the land might take a totally different path than what we're praying. But it's up to us to be diligent in seeking his face, praying to him. His desire is to hear from us. His desire is to answer our prayer. There's so many things to be gleaned from the life of David. And as we, as we do that, again, I'm continually brought back to this, that I want to walk in a manner worthy of the calling that's been given to me. And I pray that that's the same with you. I want to be a man like David who is after God's own heart. I want to be one that, that diligently seeks after him and realizing that he is gracious and merciful when we, when we stumble, when we fall. He's eager to show mercy and to restore. I wanted to, last time if you were here, I wanted to finish up the, the chapter so we could get into 1 Kings tonight and I, I fell short of time last time, so... As we pray now, I'd like to, Dan's going to come up and, and lead us in, in one more song, but let's go before the Lord in prayer. Lord, we do humbly come to you as your children, those that you have purchased with your own blood. And Lord, we look around at the world around us, and the situation is desperate. No man has an answer. We know that you do. So Lord, right now we do, we come to you and we ask that you would reveal to us any area in our life that is not pleasing to you. Lord, we confess that sin to you. We repent of that sin. Fill us with your spirit that we might walk in a manner worthy of this great gift that you've given to us. If you're here tonight and you have never given your heart to Jesus, you've never trusted in him for your salvation, it's a matter right now of going before him in your heart and just praying, God, I, I know my life's a mess. I know my life isn't pleasing to you. But I want to I wanna follow you. I want to live in a way that would honor you. And I know I can't do that myself. So Jesus, I ask you right now to come into my heart.
I ask you to forgive me of my sin. Give me eternal life. I believe that you died for me. I believe that you were that perfect sacrifice in my place. So forgive me. Come into my heart and guide me and lead me and give me that gift of eternal life. Lord, we thank you for your, your amazing grace, your unending mercy, and your unexplainable love. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you please stand? We'll sing one more song to the Lord together tonight. Blessed be your name in the land that is plentiful, where the streams of abundance flow. Blessed be your name.